One of the biggest mistakes I see people make in SEO is failing to invest in backlinks. Backlinks from trusted websites are a key Google ranking factor. Without them, it's hard for your traffic growth to really take off. This week, the community is sponsored by Editorial.link, which has long-term relationships with 1,500 plus high authority publications. They're a link building agency that avoids shady SEO tactics and suspicious sites to win you backlinks that really work. Currently, their available niches include IT, tech, SaaS, crypto, real estate, finance, marketing, web design, e-commerce, and automotive. And they don't ask for upfront payment. You only pay when you get a backlink from a high quality publication. The team at Editorial.link has kindly offered everyone in the How The Fuck community one free backlink with an order of five or more backlinks. Get in touch today at the website editorial.link. I'll drop that below in the show notes to start your backlink building journey today. Oh, and by the way, if you're an SEO agency who's struggling to scale your own link building services, you can partner up with Editorial Link to white label their services and bring even more value to your clients. Hi, Zoe. How are you? How's it going? Hi, Ben. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Keeping busy this morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, also started the day off with a load of work. Get done before the weekend. Cool. So people probably know you from LinkedIn, maybe. SEO LinkedIn, I think it's like on fire at the moment. There's loads of good people sharing stuff. But for those who don't, could you give yourself an in short, like who are you? What do you do? Yeah, sure. So my name is Zoe Ashbridge. I've been an SEO full time for the last three to four years now. I've got eight years in marketing and digital project management. I've worked in lead and agencies international agencies and I used to feel like a project manager which is really nice for me because it means I understand the full marketing landscape but what I was finding when I was in-house or in agency was I was kind of craving like a specialism and it was like kind of like my love of content that helped me find SEO. I actually started off freelancing as a content writer but what I quite quickly learned was I was not as good as a writer as I hoped so I can write about things I know really well I can write like personal type stuff but I can write about SEO fine but I just don't have that like wonderful chameleon skill where writers can put themselves in like any industry any tone of voice mm. any subject and like create magic so I went into it like SEO instead so I kind of nice. found myself here but I'm really glad I did I'm really passionate about it as you said I've got like a nice following on LinkedIn now I love SEO LinkedIn and I post there every day and like every single Wednesday I try and post like what I call like an SEO blast which is meant to kind of help people with like the overwhelm of SEO so you can search that hashtag and just find something that you could do now that's quite easy yeah. and the kind of my hope with that is that it gives someone somewhere to start so they can just get into the flow of something because it's super overwhelming sometimes with yeah. everything that sits in that SEO umbrella. Yeah, yeah. The hashtag SEO blasts, is that it? I have like hashtag Zoe SEO, but if you search SEO blasts, I think you'd find it. Cool. Yeah, they're so great. That's the stuff like people love on LinkedIn because it's quick, actionable, like and not reading an essay, but I can like learn something like quickly from it. Yeah, they're so great. I might just ask you some of your SEO blasts later and get some examples of those. Yeah, sure. But cool, yeah. Your point about writers is interesting and like your writing background. I was talking to someone the other day and it's like, how do you find a great writer was one of the topics. And like, you know, one of the things people do look for is either they're an expert. So that's like you in SEO and like you can write about that so well because you know it. Or you just need someone who is like incredibly good at researching some yeah. the journalist who goes out and finds all the insights. But yeah, I guess different people are naturally kind of good at different ones. And like, you've got to find it. It sounds like you've found your kind of area that you like. Yeah, for sure. I found, I found my lane and I'm going to stay in there. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely where I belong. And it's, like, it's where my soul feels most happy here as well, which is good. 
But yeah, what you just said there, I think is like really key, isn't it? Writing is actually, there's like the skill of writing that what good writers do is actually research really well. And I think that's where you find your good writers and your great writers. The great writers are really good at that research phase. Yeah, so true. Yeah, like it's so tempting to be like, I need an expert to write this. But sometimes an expert has their way of doing things and isn't realizing that everyone is in a different situation and has different. So like a researcher can give more like even a better like nuanced answer potentially. Definitely. Yeah, cool. Anyway, so this is an SEO podcast. So it's actually great that you're an SEO. Um, what we want to talk, so there's like, actually I've written down four different topics. That I want to talk. Hopefully, we'll get to them. The first one is on-page SEO, and I would love to hear like your best practices and tips and things. But my first question, I guess, is not around like maybe what I'd consider very basics. You no, know, you should put keywords in your titles and things like that. But I'd love to know, like, from you, if you have a keyword, how do you decide? Let's say, like, right, you're writing a content brief or something. How do you decide what goes on that page? Like, what headings? What do you look for? Like, say, in a competitor analysis and stuff like that. That would be really interesting to know your your feedback. Cool. Okay. So Lewis Smith posted this recently and I love this. I feel like I couldn't put into words what, what I do with a keyword. And he said a keyword is a gateway to a topic. So when you get one keyword, it's not just this isolated word or phrase on its own. It's actually a whole other topic. And that is really important to think about. And this will kind of come into what I'm going to say next. But I think generally that understanding that a keyword is more than just a keyword is actually what's often missing when I get involved with a client. So most people understand keywords. They know they need to use keywords in their content. They know they need to put it in their headings. But what's often missing is that kind of layer of understanding of the bigger picture and how this keyword plays into the rest of the website. So whenever I find a keyword, the first thing I would do is actually just Google it. So you don't even need a cook at all just to get started with this. It's just to take a look at what type of content is ranking for it. And generally, you're going to find the keyword returns a certain sort of results. Sometimes the SERPs are a bit mixed, but generally it's quite consistent in that you're going to find 10 articles on blog, 10, sorry, 10 blogs ranking in the SERPs, or you might find it's 10 service pages, or it might be eight service pages and two and two blogs. I'm just realizing I'm counting to 10 here with the organic search results, and it's no longer 10. It's actually more like six or eight. <laughs> so it's going to, yeah, I'll put that there. Okay. You'll find the majority of the results are quite clear. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you want to do is aim to create something that's already ranking. So if you're seeing eight blog posts, don't try and write a blog. So don't try and write a service page. You need a blog. And if it's like a listicle, so the top 10, I don't know, best softwares for whatever, that's the type of content that you need to create. Yeah. So that's the first thing. And then some people listen to this, going to see it. this sounds like it's like kind of copycatting. And this is where this kind of next layer of SEO comes in, in that you need to stand out as a useful piece of content. So you asked about how to include like headings in briefs. Again, you don't even need a tool to do this. Obviously they are available and it'll speed up the process a little bit, but I didn't use tools for years. And actually I do still have a preference not to use tools to some degree because you can just get more immersed in the content and the information, which I personally like, but of course is slower. So I would just open up all those top ranking articles that are relevant to my website that I'm working on. So if there's like a Forbes article, I probably wouldn't open that because the chances of you taking down Forbes and SERPs is fairly unlikely unless you are a really big authority website. Or if like Wikipedia's ranking, I'd probably just leave it alone. But I'd open up those articles that from websites you recognize, competitors, and see what they're writing. And then what I was aimed to do is every heading that they're writing, I'd aim to include that in my own content. And that would basically form my outline. So that's kind of like step one. What is everyone talking about? Can I cover it? 
Now, it's important to note here as well is that I would never, and I don't think anyone ever should, cover content that doesn't like line up with their brands or their values. So if a competitor's writing something that you don't like or don't agree with, don't add it in just for the sake of SEO because it's not even going to move the needle that much anyway. Because yeah. like I said, a keyword is a gateway to a topic. So one piece, one keyword on one piece of content isn't everything. It's just one piece of content. And then once I've got, so I've got this outline, I've vetoed anything that I don't like. I would then look at that piece of content and ask myself, how can I make this more useful? Like how can I be the most useful source on the website, on, on, on the web? So that's going to be things like taking the research a step further by asking, uh, looking to people also ads, looking at what questions people are asking, asking myself, like, can the team here create a video on this topic? Does it need one? Can I create images and GIFs that are going to be like explain processes so they've got something visual? to kind of support the writing, all that kind of stuff. And then I, I just get it written. I don't worry massively about keywords or semantic keywords, to be honest, because I, if you're working with a good writer, they're going to add those anyway. So you don't need to kind of micromanage the words that your writers use, providing you're using a good writer who knows how to research and loves the topic. And then I would just aim for a really good, soulful piece of writing. And it's kind of that simple in sure. order to do that side of things. And then, of course, the plot thickens when we talk about this. Good old Lewis for saying this. This key would be in the gateway to a, a, a subject because now we can start to think, how else can we support this piece of writing? What else do we need to answer? What other pieces of content do we need to add to the website to show that we're authoritative and knowledgeable on this subject? Nice. Well, yeah. Okay, perfect. I'm going to try to pick apart like some things you said there. Like, I think that's an amazing overview of what people should do. So like you said, like I tried to include every heading. Like I've heard this advice before, I guess it's like try to match the headings that they've done. So, so it, I guess the kind of theory behind that is that you're doing everything they've done, but better, but more or different or like you've not missed anything. Therefore, Google should be like popular, but then maybe. I think when, when it comes to like reality of like looking at the SERP, a lot of people have like the most random headings that don't make sense or like they either have no keywords or they're just not really an accurate or descriptive heading of what's there anyway. I'm guessing, would you ignore those? Yeah, ignore. And I think that's where that like, that is where the experience of an SEO does come in really helpful because you've got the, like, the, the kind of like the guts to say, that's not that useful. And I think when you are looking at SERP analysis, you do need to bear in mind that you're doing SERP analysis in this way and so is everyone else. And a portion of those people are going to fall victim to just doing what everyone else because everyone else has done it. Don't do that and don't be scared to try and stand out because you can always, I would always say this, do it the integral way first. Do it the way that you really want to do it. What feels good to your soul? And the chances are that's going to be absolutely fine. And if it isn't fine, you can come back and edit it and make those compromises. Yeah. That's how I always focus on it and address it. And another thing that's quite funny is I actually, um, my client, I wrote a brief for my client and my client went ahead to go and do the writing. And when they were digging into the, the articles, they found a statistic that was being used by like four, five, six articles on the top of Google and he could not find the source. Yeah. So probably someone posted it first. Article two was like, well, that's a good start. Article three, article four, article five did the same thing. And now we've got five articles with an, a non-existent stat. So yeah. my tip there would be to go to the source, find the source and quote the source and not the ranking articles. Yeah. Yeah. I think the main takeaway there, do it, do it the integral way first, do it the way that feels good because that's going to help us here anyway. And you can always come back and edit it and make the compromises if you really have to. Yeah. And 100%. I think even if you like perfectly optimize it like that, like 10 articles, there's going to be like five of them that for some reason don't hit right and you have to revisit anyway. Like I think that's... Yeah, like, absolutely. 
that's the reality of it. You won't hit a nail on the head and go to the top every time. One tip I really love that is going around again and again at the moment, I see, is that like you may look at the search results and the very top one, for example, in the last company I worked at, it was a net promoter score software, which is like feedback collection survey type, like a particular type. And if you type in NPS software or best NPS software or whatever, the top nine, so not even the top nine, there's seven on that first page are 10 NPS software. So you think it's a listicle, but the top one is Qualtrics is probably the biggest brand and biggest provider of their product page. It just says like NPS software. And so you may be tempted like, oh, maybe I could win with the landing page. How do I stand out here? Like they're clearly standing out with their top product page and whatever. All I'm trying to say, I guess, is there might be more reasons that add up to the full picture about why one page is ranking or not. And like, for them, they have huge authority as that topic. They built so many like, you know, exact match backlinks for that keyword that they've pushed that page to the top and they've spent a lot of money to do it. So the best advice I've seen going around at the moment is look at who are the top 10 or like top seven, top eight, which one is the weakest authority? You sometimes see it like every page ranking is domain ranking 70. And then there's one that's like domain ranking 20, who's like third. And that like, if you can look at that, there's something that site or that page is doing differently that Google likes them, but not just their authority, but also whatever else it is. Like maybe they have more topics, more on that specific topic or they have yeah, something else. And I really like that piece of advice about like on-page SEO. Just because someone's at the top with like 300 words doesn't mean you should also write a 300-word article because they might have a seriously like authority in that subject. Like try to figure out who's weakest and do what they do kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the hard thing with SEO. When you try and like simplify things to talk about it, so you just end up opening a can of worms. It's like, oh, but there's also this and there's also this. And the plot thickens here. But yeah, that, what you just said there, I completely agree with. Like my knee-jerk reaction to them ranking for like the best or top is actually, that's actually a really lucky rank to get that. Because generally, if you see a keyword with best or top, that's kind of reserved for like third-party credibility. So other sites listing software or whatever. So lucky to have that. And their authority has probably carried them there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you'd be, you'd have a big job and big expensive job and brand building and everything to get that. Yeah, that's the thing. They are probably like a 90 something domain ranking. They have like, it's a billion dollar business. Yeah. Everyone knows them for that one thing. So of course, like they have the authority in that. So coming Their marketing budget versus like your marketing budget. It's, it's only so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. Pick your battles around competition for sure. Yeah. Cool. I really like that your tips around taking their content one step further. So many people won't do the work like videos, images, GIFs, or actual research or actually talking to a subject matter expert. Like, if you do want to come up against someone like that, that's really good advice, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's do next topic, I think. That was like a great one for like, content briefs. Featured snippets. Let's do that. Could you explain like what is a featured snippet? Yeah, definitely. So I love getting featured snippets. They're like one of my favorite things because they like, they just give back in abundance. So if you can get yourself one featured snippet, you're going to see your clicks and impressions rise at a really high rate, probably faster than anything else. The featured snippet is essentially like the, what we call it the rank zero. So it's the nice first listing. So often they have more kind of real estate in the SERPs. It's like twice the size at least of a, a normal organic listing. And often they have like the bullet points of the, the the core points of the article or images. So they just kind of like look more desirable to click. So that that is the main reason why they get more clicks. Yeah. They tend to be top of funnel type content I have found. So think high traffic, but like I said, top of funnel. So not exactly ready to convert, but really nice for like traffic campaigns. And this is where 
SEO has to play in with other marketing tactics like ads or emails. Because at this point, SEO is going to get a lot of traffic who probably aren't ready to convert yet. And this is probably their first touch point with your brand as well. So they've searched a problem. So one of my clients has got a featured snippet for like oily skin for women in their 40s. Lovely audience because we know we've got a load of women who've got oily skin and they're in their 40s. So we know exactly what their problem is and roughly how old they are. We know why they're probably getting these oily skin problems. So now we can take that audience that's coming in in the thousands send that over to ads and say, oh, can we retarget these people with relevant messaging about oily skin and 40s, how to solve it, how the ingredients in the products help and all, and all this kind of stuff. So ads can then kind of nurture that client, keep the brand front of mind, keep them coming back mm-hmm. um, with a nice pop-up with a bit of a, you know, like a 10% off incentive or join our masterclass type incentive. We can get that person to pop their email in so we can keep in touch with them and yeah, help them convert through different offers, you know, depending on what that particular person wants, whether it's 10% off or a consultancy to try a free skin sample, yeah. all this type of stuff. That's really cool. So you're using like the drive top of funnel traffic and nurture it back once you've got it with a paid campaign. That's really yeah. smart. Yeah, people don't talk about the, like, the interaction between paid and organic like enough, I think, but that's a really nice use case. So how do you make sure you win these? It kind of just goes back to being like the most useful article on Google. So I would say generally longer form content, minimum of a thousand, if not like two, probably. Very specific long tail type keywords. We use that example there of oily skin in 40. That's very specific, isn't it? Quite long tail. I think what I would encourage people to do if they wanted what would be to search the keywords. Search a keyword that sounds good. Take a look if it's got some, if it's got a featured snippet and then aim to take it down. And what you do find with featured snippets is you often do see the lower domain authority. Like sometimes I'll be in SERPs and there's like people with like 70, 60 domain. And then this one site with like 14 is at the top. And I, it's because they've been really useful. And like going back to what I said earlier about doing that SERP analysis and looking at the headings. If you are very clearly communicated to Google, that you're covering everything the other articles are and more, why would you not be first? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, I feel like you could almost do it without much SEO knowledge and without SEO tools. If you just take a keyword, take a specific problem, solve it in your content, very detailed with lots of useful information, media, videos if you can, I think you could get there. Yeah, I think you can kind of bolt on image alt text. So if you can use your keywords in your alt text as well, that helps. And I would go as far even to say use the keywords in the image file names. I mean, I would not go back and like edit all my file names. But if you can get into the habit of naming your files properly, it does make a difference. And I think that's, this is the thing with SEO when you're a small website or a smaller website in a, you know, what do you say, a small fish in a big pond. It really helps like tick all these little boxes. And that's kind of it, really. It's knowing your keywords, knowing what people want from that keyword, which, which is what we get from Google, and then answering it in a very detailed way. And I always just say to people, like, just care. Just care and put, like, everything you've got into that content and you will get a feature snippet. Yeah, cool. Great advice. I think when you look at featured snippets, like I said, like, put the keyword in and see what comes up. But if it makes sense, like, most feature snippets are, they're, like, a very small paragraph or they're a table or a list. Or something like that, or maybe even a video, but ultimately they are something that is small enough that it can be answered in yes. you having to read the whole pack thing. So it's often like a definition or top 10 things. Like if someone says best software, it will just like ping those top 10, but then they can dive deeper to understand them. But it's about like, how can Google summarize what you're saying quickly on the search results? So like you said about like, it's often like a long question 
or something very specific that you've answered or like a definition or the one I see a lot is like benchmarks and statistics. So like if you type in, like going back to that customer feedback thing, like it was every single version of like customer feedback score benchmark for healthcare, for finance, like they would have a list of benchmarks on the featured snippet at the top. If you type in your keyword, like you said, and then see what type, is it a table? Is it a small paragraph? Then you can try to do the same. If your content doesn't have a table, a list, and the feature snippet is a list, you're probably not going to win it. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, about that. If you can, it's something that can be answered in like a paragraph or in like bullet points. And I guess it's known how to communicate that to Google. So it's very clear. Like you said, the bullet point, it pulls through are generally your heading. So if it's like, I don't know, 10, 10 ways to care for your skin, for example, it would probably pull through like five to 10 bullet points and they would be the, the, H, the H2 tags most likely. Or you can, I always say to, to writers is a little tip is to, if you're answering a very specific question, like what is the best product for skincare? I'm really going into skincare today, but so you would answer the, you would use the question in the answer. So the best product for skincare is answer it in like a sentence or two and then elaborate. And then Google will pull through that, that sentence. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people do it Well, they'll go like, okay, if it is a definition, they'll just make sure their heading says definition of, and then they answer it in two sentences. So it's like, yeah, it's really, it matches that. Time for a short message from me. Today, I'm so excited to announce the launch of my new scale package, which is available for pre-order this very second. I'm going to drop the webpage where you can learn all about it in the show notes below this episode. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can expect an email from me tomorrow telling you all about it. So what exactly am I talking about? Well, the scale package is my contribution to the world of SEO content operations. It has three parts. The first part is an ebook, which has two core sections to it. The first is content and keyword strategy, where you'll get answers to questions like, is SEO even right for me? What does my customer want on the search channel? What keyword should I go after and in which order? And how can I make more money from SEO? Section two of the book focuses on how to produce content at scale. I detail 12 steps that are the most important for scaling content, mapped against a timeline, each of which every agency, marketing team, or niche site owner should know about before building their content operation. Steps include creating a writer hiring funnel, building EEAT into your system, scheduling, content updates, and so much more. So I said this is a package and here's why. This isn't just an ebook, it's also an operations starter kit. You'll get my content machine dashboard that I use for tracking the flow and creation of new content. You'll also get over 12 standard operating procedures, guides, and templates that I use to communicate with writers efficiently and make sure they nail their job. I've literally sold this package for thousands of pounds before, but now it's all yours. And the final part of the package, the thing that completes the trifecta, is this also comes with an annual membership to the How The Fuck community. Community membership gives detailed real-world examples of people doing exactly what you are trying to achieve. It's a continuous source of inspiration and guidance. You can expect an entire year of newsletters, podcasts, and later this year, a chat community where you can share and receive advice. Theory and templates are concrete, but weekly motivation in the community keeps you on the path to success, and that makes all the difference. This is the package that I wish I had when scaling my own content production and creating content at scale for my clients. It would have saved me so much time and and headache and frankly would have saved me a ton of money that I waste on writers that weren't that good. And it can all be yours for less than a price of one well-written article. Pre-order this week for £249. Next week, that price will be going up. And don't forget, the link will be below this episode if you want to check that out. Thank you. Now back to the episode. 
from my experience, I don't know what you think, but like teacher snippets often, if you win it, although like it's like Google stopping you, the searcher having to click on your site to get an answer, it definitely drives loads of clicks anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. I never worry about that. So people are like, oh, Google's answering more questions in, in SERPs. It's like, okay, that's fine. So we'll just keep showing up in SERPs then. Like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> and I mean, like, there's going to be two types of people. The people who want the fast answer, who are probably not going to convert anyway. So if they get served on SERPs, it's fine. And the people who are going to click through and want more and are probably a bit warmer anyway. So I'm just like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe the one thing is like, if you're not number one, you might not get much. Yeah. So that's maybe, now I think about it, like that could, if you're like four and there's a feature snippet, it's like they're never going to, but they never get to you anyway, I think, really. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. I think that's, is there anything else we need to know about feature snippets? Like what else? Um... I think, think so. I think that pretty much covers it. I guess the only other thing would be like, you can add some schema if you're comfortable doing that, which is really easy to go and find out how to, how to get the code. You can just search for a schema generator and add things to your frequently asked questions. Although I don't actually have a lot of evidence to say that the schema is actually that useful. I've had plenty of feature snippets with or without it. I tend just to add it because I find it easy now. But uh, I think you're fine without it anyway. How do you add it like into like the HTML editor of your... Yeah, yeah into the code. I'm pretty lucky because I'm working to Deb, so I often ask him to help me with the schema. I'll either kind of start off when I get him to check it, but he kind of built me my own like, schema generator. I think he was like, I really want you to stop asking me about this, so like, here you go. But that really <laughs> wouldn't exist, but it was a nice, a nice good. That's pretty cool. I've seen people use ChatGPT for it, generate schema for a table. So that's obviously potentially one route now. Yeah, absolutely. And it is the chat. I actually tried the ChatGPT schema for person schema. So I want to work on my own person schema for myself. And I, he had to, my boyfriend had to edit the code for me. So it's not like perfect, but it will get you a lot closer. And to give the ChatGPT its credit, it really helped me understand what I can put within that type of schema. Whereas I, before I wouldn't have understood that. Well, I would have had to spend more time researching it. So that actually was really helpful. That's so cool. Yeah. Is person schema to basically say like this, who you are, the writer yeah. and the authority of and stuff like that? Yeah, this is something. So that is a schema that I do actually quite value at the moment. So we keep seeing a lot about obviously um, EAT, so expertise, authority and trust. I've forgotten what the new E is. Experience, I think. Experience. And I think that having that person schema will actually be quite useful because I think one thing Google could look for is proof that you're an actual human writing content. So for example, if on my website, which I neglect obviously because I'm busy on it, everyone else's, if I write an article on my own blog and say, well, this author is Zoe Ashbridge and she's the same as this LinkedIn account, Google can then make a, you can kind of prove that you're a real person and, you know, you're active on LinkedIn. Google might be able to see that. Zoe also authored in this publication. So I'm kind of proving that I'm a credible source that can be trusted on the subject of SEO. And I think that's going to become more significant as we go on. Yeah, it definitely seems like it. I so I recommend that everyone gets into this schema stuff. I still don't understand how that's not just super easy to fake. Like obviously you could just pretend yeah. you pretend, you know how Investopedia has like written by, fact checked by, reviewed by, and they're all like these like senior fund manager experts and things. And it's like ultimately who knows what actually yeah. has yeah. Totally. It wouldn't even be hard to falsify a LinkedIn profile, would it? But I mean, we're always going to be up against that in the SEO world where, you know, so I must think my mum said this, if someone can create something and someone can break it, <laughs> we'll find a way around it. And we are, but I think, I think you've just got to trust that if you keep doing the right thing and being integral, it will pay off in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I think as well, like there's like a certain amount of waiting or will be on that, the fact that it says as a human writer, but 
the reality is like, is it actually cited? Is it good content? Are people engaging with it and trusting it? Or is it, are they bouncing away from it super quick? Yeah. Back to the search. That stuff probably has more of an impact ultimately, whether it's a good source or not. Yeah. Okay. That was good. I like that little person, person schema. Okay. The last, I think I saw you do a post about Harrow. Um, yeah. It's a little bit of a selfish question because I'm doing so many Harrow things at the moment. But for me, like when I have won a Harrow pitch, you get yourself on like sites that you would never get on a backlink and really good one. But obviously like the rate at which you win them is like, you have to put like a lot of effort to get not no guarantee results. So like, what's your best tips? And for anyone who doesn't know, Harrow is like help a reporter out. It's a website that hundreds of reporters will ask for quotes and stories from people and then they'll link to you. So you can do loads of pitches. What's your advice for like winning a pitch? Oh, so I'm quite new to Harrow. So I'm not like the most credible source for this. But I have been really giving it a really good go. And like you said, it's hard work because you have to be quite responsive. You can sign up to Harrow and you get like you can get up to three emails a day, which I would recommend going all in. If you're gonna do it, don't don't half do Harrow. Like go all in, give it a good go for three months and see how you get on. And to be fair, I think I secured it was over it was somewhere between like eight and twelve percent of pitches I'd sent. But I've only sent like I've only sent my twenty. So that's only like two. <laughs> so I'm not getting huge amounts, but I'm also not send in like loads and loads but I think it's actually probably why the pitch percentage is okay though because I wait until something's very relevant and then I send it what was it about those two do you think was there anything different about those two and what's your approach overall so I think the ones I've secured so I've been doing a little bit for my client and for myself mostly it's one client and me and the ones I'm getting more luck on are the ones that are for me and I think it's because the expertise is actually there when I'm writing about myself it's a lot kind of Believable. Yeah, I guess. But also, I don't really have anything to sell. So I'm not, the client I'm known for is like, they sell products. So I think it's harder when you've got a product to sell because you need to actually step away from that like sales mindset because they don't want to promote a product. They want a quote from an expert. And yeah. that's where I need to improve, I think. And I think that's where I'm falling short. But I did get a course written by a journalist. And it's not about a harrow. It's about, it's about pitching to journalists in general. And one of the comments in there was, you know, not even to try and pitch a product. I'm like, I'm not actually trying to pitch a product. I know that already, but I think I've not quite like got that down yet. So I think that's the thing is just try and be really genuinely useful. And you may or may not get a backlink, but be helpful. And that's your best chance of getting one. Is it a case of you're pretending to be your client or you answering like, hey, my client says this quote? Yeah, so I, I write it as me and say, hi, like I'm Zoe. I help my clients on Google or with SEO. My client's name would love to answer this query for you. And then I put in, yeah, I actually got that template from Nick Rubright. He's got a, an agency. He does like backlinking. So I just kind of copied that and went with it. He's got a really good blog post on it. I can imagine as a journalist, instantly I'm going to be like, they just want the link. Like it might not be real. I want yeah. like things. So I, yeah, I don't know what the ethics are on faking, pretending you are that person or like writing for them. But well, I think just as long as you're honest, I'm, I mean, I just, I always just think I'm just going to be honest with everyone and they can, uh, but I do wonder if they think, because it's an SEO, whether it, that doesn't help. Although I've heard other, other SEOs tell, tell me it's fine to do that. So, but maybe I should try writing it as a client. That's kind of on my, on my list to try as well. I had another comment on that, but I think it's just escaped me and gone. You get it approved, right? And then it is genuinely from the client. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're writing it. Usually I'll, or I'll like smash out a draft and say, oh, can you like add to this? Because I don't know enough about my client's products to, I'm not an expert on it. You know, I can't write an expert answer on that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So maybe it's, if it's literally coming from them, they as well pretend just write it from them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so the ones I've won in the past have always been like accidentally or on purpose, just a little bit weird and unique. I'm sure everyone gives very similar responses. So as soon as I lean into like something completely different that they haven't seen, the few I've won have been like that. Yeah. But my personal that, That's a good tip, actually. And I have to say, that, you saying that makes me think, yeah, that's been the same for me, actually. If the answer comes to you fast, someone else has probably said, said it. So think and submit something that didn't come like really quick. Yeah. That's the thing. I think these journalists, they know the top 10 bits of advice that they want you to... Yeah, something something they've not thought of, or at least you've said it in a way that's yeah. Oh my god, I'm so passionate about this, and it's like exactly like my thing, and uh, like, that's the kind of thing I tried to do. But we'll see. The annoying thing is, you know, it's not really a close feedback loop. Like it might be like two months or like a month before you see the link come in. Yeah, yeah. You know, love what your like percentages on there. Are you like tracking your no? So I only in the last week started doing it again. Um, and yeah. I've written five and I've not heard anything. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But in the past, like I had, I don't know, actually no idea the percentage, but sometimes they would just include my link and I'd find out months later. Sometimes. Yeah. They, yeah. Same. Sometimes they'd message me. the track, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they message me like, thanks. Can I ask you one more question kind of thing? And then I'm like, yes. Come yeah. Here. Yeah. But yeah, no, nothing to speak of. I know there's a guy on LinkedIn who, who owns like harrowseo.com and he must know. Sam Brown. Yeah. He's ace. Yes. I need to get, maybe ask him. Do a oh, yeah yeah oh for sure i would love that that would be it because i'm sure i'm wasting so much time that'd be really good to care cool okay sorry so that was not that was an unplanned question but the one i wanted to ask you final one was about freelancing i know you've done like a lot of freelancing in the past i would like to know i think a lot of the listeners are seos seo agencies or like agency owners or whatever i'd love to know like from your perspective where would you say your expertise like lies on that because you were doing a lot of freelance stuff on Upwork for a while. Is that right? Yeah, I love freelancing. I, I've been doing it full time for like three, nearly four years. And I actually did a round of freelancing when I was much younger. So I was probably about, I was in a job, hated it. And if I like, if I broke down my wage for the hours I was doing, because it was one of those like offices where like you were kind of rewarded if you stayed really long. So yeah. like people would just like, the, the minimum contract was like 40 hours. And then people would just like stay walking around the office doing nothing to be like the last man standing. Do you know what? I just kind of like, I remember just like working out my salary and dividing it by hours and being like, I'm on less than minimum wage. What yeah. am I doing? So I just, I literally just quit my job and I was like, do you know what? I'll find another job. Like I'll work in a pub, I'll work in a supermarket, I'll do, I'll clean stuff. Like there's always work and this is miserable. So what's the point? And then I have this, I don't think anyone should do that. I don't actually recommend that. I was young and I had parents. <laughs> like if yeah. I never had any money, I was fine. So I don't recommend that. But Sometimes you have to make a move in life for the the next opportunity to come. You don't get anything from like sitting stagnant. So I did that. And then it was really weird. But a woman who I met in York who had like a tag hanging out of a jumper, I told her about that. We stayed connected. And my job, she got back in touch with me and was like telling me that she was looking for a freelancer. And I was like, okay, that's very serendipitous. Uh, So I started working for her probably for a year. And then her business kind of shifted and I went in agency. And then started freelancing again. So I feel like I've tried freelancing like the not so great way <laughs> and then the best way, which is where I'm at now. And I've been a full-time freelancer now for nearly three or four years. So back then, were you writing or was it like SEO and help? And stuff? Back then, I was more like a, like a marketing exec, if you like. So just helping out with all sorts. Okay, cool. What I would love to know is something I struggled with when I was in-house at a software company. So like we would use freelancers to help us at scale writing or like other help and expertise. As someone on the other side of that, like 
what can clients, your clients do to like make it easier for freelancers? Like if you're talking to like an SEO founder or something who wants to work with loads of freelance writers, or if he wants to hire lots of other freelancers, what, yeah, what would be the best? Yeah, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I'm struggling with the question. I, know, but... I think I've got, I think I've got something here. So I think from what you're asking is like, yeah, when, when to hire a freelancer and how to hire a freelancer and what should you have client side before you go and get a freelancer so I think the first question to ask yourself as a client is do you need like a freelancer or do you need a group of freelancers or an agency and all three of these are perfectly good solutions so if you need a freelancer one person you need to fill up one skill gap so you need a writer to write a suit of matter blogs it's going to be quite small or you might need more than one freelancer with content writing, for example. You can't always expect your writer to do the SEO and you can't always expect your SEO to do the writing. So you might need two freelancers. If you're scaling content production in a really big way, you actually need like a much bigger infrastructure. And I think content writing gets, I think it gets a little bit of like abuse in that people think, oh, you're just writing content, but you're not actually, you're publishing content to a website, you're searching for images, making videos, ideally. You're adding the SEO layer. It's a big, big job. And as soon as you start talking about content in a really scaling content in a big way, I just think you might be better considering either an agency because they've already got a process. They've already hired good freelancers. They've done all the recruitment. They've spent the money to vet the good freelancers and they're ready to go and they're really agile and they can do things faster. So that's also an option. So that would be my first, my first question as a client. Or if you're going to be working with many freelancers, someone internally needs to manage those people so everyone knows what they're doing otherwise it can just get really hectic and it's not a very nice working environment for anyone you you don't get the best out of your writers and they just feel a bit you know just kind of like this extra this afterthought that you know they don't really know what they're doing or didn't have any guidance Mm -hmm. it's like having a process if say if you are in-house and you just have like three writers getting a process in place to like properly empower them with your insights or like what you need or like planning and like i think that's the hardest part for me you do actually have to get to plan and get ahead of it and otherwise they're, they're going to not have you're not going to get the most out of them they're going to get lost yeah bit. sure and then you end up just like chucking content ideas at them with no real structure or no real purpose like, oh we've got to keep like so and so busy otherwise she's going to leave us but it's like you need to be one step ahead of your your freelance writer so you know what you're writing why you're writing it and definitely get an seo involved as well because otherwise you're going to get all this content written then you're going to be like well why is it not ranking and to rewrite yeah. all of it. So yeah, that process is so, so important. I've got a good writing process. I can share that with you if you're looking for one. What process for what? Writing? Um, yeah, so a process for like managing writers and the SEO layer and design elements and all that kind of thing. Oh, God, yeah. Do you mind sharing it in short? Yeah, so I work either on Asana, it's like a project management tool or in Trello. And what I've basically done is just like broken down every stage of the process and assigned people to those individual tasks. So for example, one client, I would go and get the, the strategy ready. So I'm going to go and prepare the strategy and we're going to have, let's say, 12 pieces of content in the pursuit of a common goal, which is going to be a topic because a keyword doesn't get me to a topic and not on its own. 12 pieces of content that are, and they're all going to work together to rank. So they're all going to have a role to play in the goal of getting visibility on Google. And then I would usually do like a draft keyword cluster for each of those articles. Then my, so what I was called Lydia, she would go and create the content brief. So she knows what she's doing. She's creating a content brief. Yeah. She would then pass that content brief to the writer. The writer and Lydia would have a little bit of two and forth about the brief. The writer then writes it. That goes back to Lydia for an edit. Then it might go to design because design need to get us the hero images. If we're really lucky and we've got a video team, it gets it gets passed over there. So you can see how like it's kind of just managing itself and going down the flow each time. And then once that's done, you can kind of 
get even more like smarter with your marketing and say to ads, hey, we've just put this content live. Please, can you add this to your audience so that we can literally start remarketing to them from audience number one. Nice. Same to email. Yeah, nice. That process can go on and on. That's really cool. I think I'm lucky to talk to a lot of people like you who have like some kind of process for scaling their agency, their process and stuff. So I've mostly been in-house until recently and then I've now got clients and like I'm having to like figure this out. Like how do I not spend my entire life doing everything and like what can I create a process around to make it all manageable and easy. But I have an S or my mind sounds somewhat similar, but like maybe not as advanced, but it's like an air table that has like, oh, yeah. here are the key, here's the keyword and the variations and then it has like a space for a brief and then the stage that it's at. So like need brief creating all the oh, way yeah. to like ready to write ready to edit ready to and probably everyone listening is like already just like well experienced with this but I was like never had an agency side experience I never knew like processes what is that yeah so it's been like super refreshing to like have it all in one place not in not in my head kind of place. yeah yeah and really like I think it's quite like therapeutic isn't it like write it all down as well and like and I think also you see the value in what you do as well like oh my goodness I'm doing all of that yes <laughs> really that. isn't it yeah. You can obviously you can start to get help with as well if you write it down. Yeah, that's so true. I'm seeing like a big bottleneck then is creating all those briefs. Like we yeah. said, soft on the writer, but someone has to create the briefs. So, okay. So like if maybe my expertise is making sure we're targeting the right keywords and like your, the strategy behind like the SEO, how can I step away from like creating then all of those briefs, which is like super insane. Yeah. Um, it's long. How long would you say it takes to like train someone else to create the briefs that you're happy with? This is where it gets difficult with hiring freelancers, I think, especially if you're on a budget. And this is why sometimes it's just easier to go to agency if you've got that budget because they've done this and they've trained and vetted and found everyone. It is quite hard. You kind of just got to, I think when it comes to training freelancers, you need to find someone who's, who you're aligned with, you like, someone who's probably doing a pretty good job already. It's more like finding the person you're willing to invest your money and time into, I guess. Yeah, that's thing. If they're enthusiastic and like willing to learn, I suppose that's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even matter if they're, you know, not the kind of like 70% proficiency, if they're willing and excited to learn and doing their own research. I think one of a good indicator of someone who's going to be good is someone who comes to you with a solution rather than like problems all the time. So like an attempt to solve a problem, like I wasn't sure about this, I've done this. What do you think rather than I couldn't do that bit? Yeah. Okay. Well, why didn't you try and figure it out? You know, you're kind yeah. of solve the problem. So it's a good life lesson for everybody, right? At least come with a potential solution to your problems. And yeah, I was talking to someone yesterday. Do you know like Jessica Young? Yeah, I actually messaged her yesterday on LinkedIn because I'm writing LinkedIn hacks and she's got a cool, uh, I love her LinkedIn. Yeah, she's going to be in that article. Oh yeah? Oh, cool. So we were actually, we were just uh, having like a catch up call before we we're going to do a podcast at some point. Nice. She put it into words, what I've been thinking for a long time, like what makes a good like team member and someone you can manage. And I think what she said in summary, basically, is that like someone with strong opinions about what is yeah. like, I think it's so true. Like if you can come with like, just like your opinion, like pushing me forward, like pushing the idea, the concept of what we're trying to do to make it better. And like your opinion on what makes it better makes someone like so valuable, I think, rather than just like doing and executing and leaving, like becoming with like a, someone who cares, essentially. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I've just hired like a, a VA recently and I love it when someone will just like do stuff. Oh, I thought about right. this. I'm going to make a note for it because that really helps you as well. Because when you're juggling a business, you're wearing all of the hats. It's hard work. And when someone will just kind of like take a little bit of the thinking off you, yeah. that is like golden. And she's amazing actually. And as you said about your process there, I actually wrote down loads of mine and just put it into this like, I actually put it into Asana, a card per like problem if you like. Because I think sometimes you can't see what you can hand over because you just get so like, caught up in it all and like sometimes I'm like you know it's kind of arrogant to think Zoe that only you can do this and get over yourself someone so, else can yeah. do it and probably do it better than you as well yes but yeah. sometimes you just get so like in it you just kind of lose that that perception yeah. so I, I wrote it down and eventually she can pick through that and be like so what are you doing I can definitely do that you can do it better than you even that's the thing I think if you have a if you really care about what you do, you end up being a bit of a perfectionist and wanting it to be like how you want it to be. And then you think yeah. like, you get stuck in this, like I can't outsource anything because I'm, nah. like, I like it that that way. And, yeah. and But like, I've had that experience managing people in the past where they come and like, oh, like I'll do it and I'll do it like this. And then you're like, oh my God, better than me. Like I should have, that's amazing. When it, right. Yeah. But, and the thing with NCO as well is it's like really subjective, isn't it? So you've got to be a bit careful that just because you do it one way and they do it another, like neither way actually is right or wrong. It's just a different yeah. approach and probably equally as valuable. So writing is exactly the same as just because you write in a particular style doesn't make it best than someone else. So like your edits don't need to be about every word. It needs to be yeah. about the gist of the point and stop. Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield. But yeah, it was really great talking to you. Like, thanks for, for sharing all your advice. And it's been like... Yeah. Pleasure. Thanks so much for asking me. I've really enjoyed it. And it's like, this is like my first like SEO podcast. I was quite nervous, but it's been fine. <laughs> it's been great. Yeah, I think people are going to love it. Yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the How The Fuck podcast. If you don't already know, we have a newsletter and a premium community that you can join if you want to get more from the show. Our kind of reason for being is to help people learn the systems, workflows, tactics, strategies for scaling quality content and building a high growth SEO program. At the moment, I've been calling that learn to get to a million in traffic and actually drive revenue. Um, But yeah, each week on top of this podcast, there's a weekly free newsletter that you can get that normally takes something from the episode and expands on it and gives you a ton of more tips for it. There's also a premium newsletter. It's £17 a month. You instantly unlock access to all of the case studies that we've done so far, and you get um, my analysis and a further deep dive into the episode of the week. I think it's really worth it, and everybody absolutely loves it who's a member. So come on over, check it out, try out a month, and see what you think. And once again, thank you for listening, and see you next week.